Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're talking about Texas A&M. Um, it's Thursday evening, I guess, at this point. I've just been watching this soccer game, and uh, Thursday's my nap day. You know, because you go through, and it's like Monday's super busy, Tuesday's super busy, Wednesday's super busy. Thursday, watch the Texas A&M game and record this podcast, and then Friday's Friday's super busy, Saturday's super busy, Sunday is busy in the morning, and then the Broncos play, so it's kind of a full day, um, but Thursday afternoons have turned into my 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 time to take a nap, and it was a really good nap. Um, actually, had a dream that uh, Nate Landman was rafting with my friends in Montana, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, like I said, went back, watched the Texas A&M game have some notes you know we've talked a little bit about some of these key pieces for the Aggies but uh, today we're really digging in gonna be kind of our final conversation uh, about them well sort of tomorrow uh, at 10 30 a.m. we're gonna be live on the DMVR YouTube me and Andre Simone talking about all sorts of different stuff um, it's gonna be fun I think we're starting with uh, the stock report you know, whose stock is up after week one, whose stock is down, who are you buying, who are you selling. Uh, it'll be fun. And then uh, we'll talk Saturday after the game with Dev. We'll have some fun stuff uh, <laughs> fun stuff planned um, for, for the one way that the game could go and then some fun stuff planned for the other. So regardless, it'll be a good time. Um, and then, you know, hopefully, hopefully Colorado pulls off the upset. Uh... That's really it for notes. I guess uh, we opened our uh, like the the Phoenix branch of DNVR, so covering all the Phoenix teams down there. That was today, um, and that means we now have coverage of Arizona State. Uh, Arizona again doesn't really mean too much right now, but when we get to Arizona State week, we're gonna have a bunch of fun stuff planned. It seems like they've got a cool group set up down there, and uh, I guess that's an important note too. Um. Yeah, before we really dig in, uh, the 
podcast, like I said, presented by the Colorado XOs. It's the off season, but there's still cool stuff going on out at their facilities in uh, Glendale, the Infinity Park at Glendale. You can check out Infinity Park at Glendale.com slash events. It'll get you everything that, that's going on. There's movies, there's concerts, so check that out. All right. Um, let's see. Should we do offense or defense first? Let's let's talk about this Texas A&M offense first. That'll be a good one. Um, there's really a lot to talk about. We've touched on a couple of the key points, um, but I think when you look at this team, there's four players that really, really stand out above the rest of the team, and three of them are on offense. Um, you know, you look, it all starts with Isaiah Spiller, the running back. Uh, he puts up big numbers, averaged over 100 yards per game. Um, prototype sort of back you know he's big but he's still quick um, can get to the edge quickly um, gets upfield breaks tackles has the jukes he's just like a do-it-all running back and that's why depending on where you look he might be like the the number one running back prospect in the upcoming draft Uh, super talented and like I said it all just kind of starts with him Um, from there you probably go to Jalen Weidermeyer uh, he's he's a tight end, uh, and you know is I think what is it? I think Mel Kiper has Todd Mc or, or sorry, <laughs> uh, Mel Kiper has uh, Jalen Weidemeyer as the number one tight end in this draft class. Um, but depending on where you look, he could be in different places. He's top three though at the very least, and uh, according to Kiper, number one uh, does all the things you want in a tight end. You know, he's he can block, he's fast, he gets open, he has good hands, um, can make plays after the catch, and he's he's just a problem. Um, the the final offensive first round pick is uh Kenyon Green, uh, right tackle. He's he's actually the only returning piece of this offensive line. The other four spots, um, guys guys change positions, and I'm, I'm, I actually think that Kenyon might have been uh, playing guard before this year, but I didn't really dig too deep into that because it doesn't matter because we're talking about this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously having a dominant right tackle. It does a lot for the running game, especially the way that Texas A&M runs the ball. There's there's a lot of those stretch runs. Um, and before we get into some of that scheme stuff, um, we should talk about kind of the, the final big piece here. And uh, he's on the defensive side, so we won't really dig into later. But DeMarvin Leal, the nose tackle, potential top 10 pick. Um, I'm going to – what is he listed at here? <laughs> listed as 6'4", 290. That's, that's a big dude. You know, I, I was honestly expecting a little bit more, but just crazy explosive. Um, nose tackle, rushes from inside. I think they actually put him outside a little bit too. Um, just really talented and really explosive and has the potential to, to ruin a game for an offense. And hopefully that isn't this week. Uh, so those are kind of the big four on this, this team. You know, again, if you're going by draft rankings, those are the guys who are projected as first round picks um, to kind of can like continue on this offense. They've got some other guys to look at too, um, who, who really are, are big impact players. I'm um, at receiver. Honestly, they aren't all that special. Um, they're kind of just guys. And I think that when you look at uh, 
like that the receivers that you face week in and week out in the Pac-12, you know, there isn't a difference here. And if anything, you know, I, I'd I'd rather play against Texas A&M's receivers than USC's receivers. Um, and, and again, the strength of this team, it's it's with the running back, Isaiah Spiller, running behind Kenyon Green. And then they do have Anaya Smith, who I think he started his career as a receiver, switched to running back last year because they didn't have much depth, um, went back to receiver kind of late in the season, but has is kind of just become this this utility guy who can play running back. Um, he can play in the slot. And he's a weapon. He's he's really fast. He's shifty. Um, he's dangerous with the ball in his hands. You know, he's their punt returner too. Um, he, he'll pick up a punt on the bounce and, and run it, even if it looks like he's just like waiting for it to, to, to die and the play to end. Um, just just a, a weapon from that spot. Um, and, and he, along with Weidermeyer, are, are really the pieces that cause problems for an offense because I mean, first of all Isaiah Spiller might just run for seven yards per carry and if he does that you're in trouble but with Weidemeyer the tight end you, you you put him in the slot you put him at tight end you can put him in the backfield and when you move him around like that you're just constantly changing these matchups and figuring out which one works best for you um Anaya Smith is really the same way like I said you see him in the backfield you know sometimes he'll be the 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 like kind of the spell back for Spiller um, sometimes they'll put both of them back there. You know, they were running some triple option stuff last week against Kent State. Um, you know, with Anaya Smith on one side, um, say the right side, with Spiller on the left side. You know, the quarterback fakes the little handoff to, to Spiller up the middle, and then they swing out to the left. Quarterback kind of leading Smith, and he can pitch it, he can run it. Just a very modern take on the option and and you see stuff like that you know there's other sorts of option plays that they ran too um a lot of different ways that they stress the defense and again we'll should probably hold off on that for just another minute um and the the final real piece that you got to talk about with this offense is the quarterback duh because it's all about quarterbacks in football um less so in college football but still haynes king he, he beat Zach Calzada. Um, King is a redshirt freshman. Calzada is a redshirt sophomore. Um, saw a little bit of both. And with King, you know, he's he's really talented. Um, he's a true, true dual-threat quarterback. He can run the ball. Um, he's, he's fast. He's probably just as good of a runner as Brendan Lewis is. Um, and, and I think maybe runs similarly to Lewis, too. Um, and on top of that, he's got a big arm. You know, he'll take some shots downfield. Um, and and that's kind of a dangerous com- com- combination. Um, and I mean that's that's why people here are so excited about Brendan Lewis is because there's kind of a similar combination. Um, week one for Haynes King didn't uh, didn't go well. Uh, I should pull up these actual stats, but he uh he threw three picks. Um. They were maybe all three of them just just balls that were thrown into tight windows, um, specifically when there was pressure. You know, when when there were defenders in his face, he just said, "You know what? I'm gonna get this ball," and it just wasn't there. And it happened three times. Um, Zach Calzada, when he came in, he also threw an interception. Um, final stats for Haynes King, though: twenty-one to thirty-three. That's a little over sixty-three percent. 
for 292 yards with two touchdowns, three interceptions. Took a little bit of a different approach than a, a guy like Brendan Lewis did. Um, with King, and you know, if, if you listen to yesterday's podcast where I played my interview with Makai Blackman, you heard Makai say, like, there's going to be some opportunities. There's 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 going to be some, some chances to do something up there. And uh, that's kind of a big piece of this game. And the other thing I, I, I mentioned, you know, a lot of those interceptions came when there was pressure. And that's why, you know, if, if Carson Wells is getting into the backfield, um, if uh, Terrence Lang is getting in the backfield, if Nate's coming on blitzes in his face, those... Uh, those sorts of plays against, you know, I mean, against Colorado, for example, you know, those are just sacks because Brendan's not going to put the ball at risk. Against Texas A&M, those are potential turnovers. And the value of getting into the backfield when you have Haynes King back there, at least based on what we've seen through one start in his career, it's it's bigger. This is a game where you really do want to get in the backfield and get in his face because he'll make some mistakes. Um, he's not just going to pull the ball down. Like I said, though, he's 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 got a, a nice deep ball. There were uh, I, it didn't seem like it hit very many times. What was the long? Oh, he did get a fifty-three yarder in there. Um, but you know, if it didn't hit, it was because maybe the ball was a little overthrown. Um, you know. There was some good coverage from Kent State. You know, it's hard to cover 40, 50 yards downfield um, and not get called for a penalty. And they they did that a couple of times and broke some passes up. Um, and I think that when you look at what this offense is trying to do, obviously Jimbo Fisher in charge, um, they want to spread you out. They they want to they want to run the ball, um, and they want to throw off the run. Uh, specifically when they run the ball they uh they they kind of like run at the edges to open things up inside you know they start by running behind Kenyon Green um they at right tackle and like i said spiller is fast enough that like it it's it's honestly kind of surprising just to see how quickly he can get behind green and then make a read is he going inside is he going outside and he has great vision and you know that that's where you really need if you're Colorado to have your your defenders setting the edges. You know, and when you're in the three four, obviously that's uh, that's Guy Thomas on one side and Carson Wells on the other, and you like that combination. Um, specifically, Carson, you, you you might throw an extra guy to Guy's side just early, but I mean it depends on the matchup. Carson Wells versus Haynes King, or, or sorry, against uh, Kenyon Green that's, in my opinion, one of the better matchups in college football this week. Um, if he's spending a lot of time on that side, which he usually does. He usually does primarily play on that side, um, which is I mean, nice. That's how you draw it up for Colorado. Um, big game for him. Um, obviously, any interior pressure, too. You know, We're going to figure out what this Colorado front seven really is. You know, I think it's probably safe to say that it's top half in the Pac-12. Um, a really good chance that, that it's top three in the Pac-12. But this is where we find out, like, okay, do, do we start comparing it with some of the best in the country? Um, you know, Carson Wells is a big piece of that. He's, he's kind of proven. This will be probably the biggest challenge of his career. You know, you think back to, like, 
he's going up against Austin Jackson a bit last year, uh, USC. Um, spent a little time with Penny Sewell two years ago. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did play there. So, so he's seen some good tackles, but but Kenyon Green right up there. Um, Nate Landman, it's going to be kind of on him to to blow things up in the middle. And I think that w- when you want to start by setting these edges in the run game, it, it helps when you have somebody like Nate who you know can can punch above his weight a little bit on the inside. You know, you you might be able to. You know, push out just a little bit more with guys like Terrence Lang um, because you know you have Nate in there just to plug anything that's left inside. Um, but yeah, I mean, what is Jalen Sami? He was incredibly explosive against uh, um, Northern Colorado. I think outside of like the, the penalty that extended the, the one scoring drive for UNC, um, that was the best game of his career. He was also going up against Northern Colorado's offensive line. And so how much do you really read into that? Because, you know, a lot of the time, the difference between, first of all, Power 5 and and Group of 5 football teams is just size and speed when it comes to, you know, that's that's the difference between the four or five-star recruit and a three-star recruit. Um, And then same thing when you compare the FCS level to the G5 level. And when you're when you have a guy like Jalen who's 325 pounds and explosive and quick and strong going up against the guys at Northern Colorado, it is he is a specifically tough matchup for those guys. Um, so was that just a, a what happens when you have a small offensive line against Sami? Or has he really turned a corner and become this sort of player? Um, and this this is a big week to test that. You know, there were some mistakes, I thought, uh, from that Texas A&M offensive line. Uh, they, they weren't perfect. Um, Terrence Lang, another one for him. And, you know, we talked to McChesney about this a couple weeks ago. But when when NFL scouts say, okay, time time to look at the Colorado guys, the first game they're throwing on is this one. You know, who, who holds their own in this one? Who, who wins against Texas A&M? And... From there, you know, there's a couple of others, but it's a big week, and we're going to learn a lot about a lot of these guys, specifically in the front seven, and if you can shut down this running game, you really are one of the best in the country, and obviously that's the goal. Obviously that's the goal. Um, with guys like Sami and Lang, you know, I, I don't have a doubt that Carson uh, Wells can hold his own. I don't have a doubt that Nate Lamon can hold his own. Just a couple of those other guys. You know, Robert Barnes even. He'll probably get his first action. Probably see a lot of Quinn Perry again, uh, regardless of Barnes being back. And, uh, again, I I don't think he's ready for, for for these guys, if I'm being honest. But but he gets his chance to prove it, too. Um, so I think that that's uh, kind of the first thing that you really look at. And it does start with setting the edge. And then w- when Texas A&M is passing the ball, it's a creative passing attack. Um, again, obviously you have a couple of those versatile pieces that, that make it easy to, to be, uh, creative, but, but even, even Isaiah Spiller, the running back, you know, he's, he's running wheel routes out of the backfield too. He's, he's catching balls downfield. Um, just, just trying to catch the defense sleeping. And that's really what this offense is all about. Um, Again, I, I guess starting up front in this passing game, um, 
I'm not sure what the game plan is against Haynes King because he really can run the ball and he can extend plays. Um, he does a good job of like looking for opportunities to throw the ball after he's extended plays. You know, it isn't like he, he waits a second or two or somebody gets in his face or something like that. And then he just ducks and runs. Um, he's, he's looking for a, a way to, um, to, to, to complete a pass. And that's what you want from him uh, as a young quarterback. You know, those are some of the more dangerous situations to be throwing the ball. Um, but when you're Colorado, you know, I, I think that you probably do emphasize keeping him in the pocket. Um, and that does kind of nullify the pass rush just a little bit when you're telling your edge rushers, like, get upfield, don't let him around you. Um, and then if he tries to slip inside, you slip inside and stop him. Um, I think that's probably the easy answer here. Um, you, you probably throw a spy on him, uh, maybe not for the whole game, but definitely at points you put a spy on him um and, and maybe it is the whole game depending on what this game plan is um who who is that guy um is it nate i could see it being nate just because spying the quarterback is kind of like a there's a lot to it you know there's i don't even know if it's like an iq thing i think obviously there's part of that but also just like instincts because at some point you say, hey, he's not getting out, and I've got to go up the middle. And we've seen what Nate Lamond can do when he goes up the middle. At the same time, if Haynes King is rolling out to the left, can can Nate match that speed? And I think he can. You know, you look back at some of the tackles he was making on the sideline against UNC, getting out there for uh, some... Sorry, there was a goal in the soccer game. Who was it? Ali Polangi, I think. Three zip. You'd love to see it. Um, oh, boy. I pay attention to two things at a time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you, you see Nate and his ability to make tackles sideline to sideline. And so maybe that is the game plan. And then you could even say, like, we're going one-on-one. -on -one, we're rushing four. We have a safety deep, and we've got Nate matching the quarterback. You know, he can also, if, if Haynes is sitting in the pocket, he's, he's kind of covering that middle of the field. We saw him get uh, read the quarterback's eyes for a nice pass breakup in week one. That might be a, a good use of this defense. Um, I think another option is to just throw a lot of pressure at the young quarterback because we saw that... He didn't really handle it well. Uh, he threw interceptions. And, you know, when, when you're the underdog, if you have... Uh, if you think that there's a way that you can force more turnovers, you've got to at least consider it. You've got to at least consider it. Um, but, you know, if, if you really are blitzing, if you're saying, okay, we're just not going to give him any time to get outside the pocket. You know, we're going to send a slot guy to the edge so he can't get around the inside, send Nate up the middle, then everybody else just rushes. That means you're leaving one-on-one -on -one coverage behind those guys unless you want to get some, like, creative little zone thing going, which is possible, um, but that's tough. And so so let's, let's talk about those matchups a little bit. Um, like I said... It's kind of tough to figure out who is going to be where. Um, on the outsides, I guess I guess that's probably the easiest way to do it. You've really got uh, 
I mean, the, the two starters are uh, Caleb Chapman on one side, Chase Lane on the other. Neither has really done all that much in their careers. Um, I think Chase Lane's a sophomore. Last year, 29 catches, 409 yards, and two touchdowns. Played in 10 games, so that comes out to just barely over 40 yards per game. Touchdown every five games. Again, as a starting receiver, not all that scary. Um, again, well, you still got to cover him. Um, but six foot 190. Um, you know, typically, Colorado's put Christian Gonzalez on one side and Makai Blackman on the other. I think this is a game where you, you kind of mirror these guys, at least when you're in man coverage. But I guess then you kind of tip it off a bit. But um, Chase Lane, to me, feels like a nice matchup for Makai Blackman. Because on the other side, you've got Caleb Chapman, six foot five, 200 pounds, um, a little under 200 yards last year. Um, he, uh, he had a pretty big game in week one, four catches, 91 yards. One of them was, was like the, the deep ball. And, you know, at six foot five, obviously he's, he's a deep ball guy. And that's the kind of guy that you should be able to put Christian Gonzalez on and shut him down. At the same time, Christian Gonzalez Young player, is he ready? Who knows? But I think that that's a matchup that if they're going at it one on one, it's something that I try early, you know. And if it doesn't work, then you adjust. But I do think that kind of starting things out, you you put uh, Chapman or Christian Gonzalez on Chapman, and you like it. You put Makai Blackman on Chase Lane and you like it, and those are the boundary receivers. Now we can kind of work our way in, which is where the the tougher matchups are. Um, you know, Colorado has Chris Chris Miller in the slot, and I think that he's going to be there for most of the game this week. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, his matchup, though, you know, first of all, it could be Anaya Smith, who... I believe we've talked about, if not, yeah, we've definitely talked about it today. Um, but, but he's the running back. He plays in the, in the backfield. He plays in the slot. And he's good. Uh, he's fast. He's quick. He's shifty. He's good with the ball in his hands. That's a tough matchup for, for Chris Miller and a tough matchup for anybody. Um, I do think that, I guess, if you're looking at the, the style of player you want on him, Chris Miller is probably the, the answer. But, again, he's just going to be a tough matchup for anybody. Um so if he's in the slot, I think that that's probably where you start, and then you move into uh, the tight end if they're an eleven personnel with uh, Weidemeyer, and that's probably Robert Barnes. And again, Mackay said yesterday on the podcast uh, that you know he he thinks that having Barnes' back is huge because he can cover uh, Weidemeyer. Um, again, once you when you look at those outside matchups, you say okay, blitz. And, and leave these guys one-on-one. Let's see what happens. As you move inside, you start to have more questions. And, and that's why, you know, maybe that that strategy that we had earlier, you know, you rush four, um, have Nate play a bit of a, a, a spy role. It gives him a chance to be kind of like a help defender in the middle of the field a little bit too if Haynes King stays in the pocket um, and then have a safety over the top. It seems like a decent option. It seems like a decent option. Um, at least something that we'll probably see early on. And you could see him just go zone, too, if they if they like that. It's just that that makes it a little bit tougher to to match up in the running game. Um, 
It's easier to... I mean, you just have a, a more balanced look compared to the offense um, when you when you line up in man. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what this offense looks like. And now at the same time, you could put another tight end out there, flex Widemeyer into the slot, and I guess in that situation, we'll we'll see how they play it. But if you're matching personnel, it would be Chris or it wouldn't be Chris Miller because he'd be on the bench. It'd be Robert Barnes who kind of flexes out into the slot. Um, with Widemeyer. So I guess I guess we'll see. I, I think that's all I've really got here. You know, it's there's there's a lot of misdirection in the offense. They have some like zone reads and simple stuff, but they'll also probably just break out some full on triple option concepts. Um some I guess there weren't a whole lot of RPOs. Uh there were a lot of RPOs from Kent State and we'll talk about that in a second. Um but when you look at this offense, you know they want to spread it out. They'll they'll throw some screen passes. They'll get the ball to their running backs, and that's the thing is they just want to get the ball to to Spiller and Smith as much as they can. They actually got a really great game from uh, uh, what is his a Kane is his last name Devon a Kane. It might be pronounced a chain. I'm not sure, but he's he's speedy. Um, 12 carries, 124 yards, had a 63-yarder in there, a couple of touchdowns. Um, I don't know how much we see him this week. And it could be that he's kind of rotating in, and this is kind of a three-back rotation. I'll say that even though he's he's fast and he's scary, um, the, the speed of CU should uh, make it a lot harder for him to 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 break free than than when he's playing Kent State which feels better I, I think that you know we talk about Jalen Sami having just that size mismatch with anybody that Northern Colorado has well this a chain number six he uh he has a speed matchup against anybody on Kent State and that's just not going to be true this week how much does that matter um but I guess he's kind of the final piece of the puzzle and I guess there's other receivers that rotate into but I think that does it in terms of the offensive side of the ball. Real quick, want to remind everybody, if you are uh, going to the game on Saturday, which you absolutely should be, first of all, tickets are still available. Um, last I heard, I think it was Monday. I think Monday we heard 53,000 had been sold. I think there's 76,000 seats at Empower, so still tickets available. Oh, also I saw that... Uh, I see you tweeted a couple days ago that um, veterans get uh, get free tickets and they can bring family members for like 25 bucks or something, uh, something discounted like that. And I'm not sure if that applies to like police and firefighters and that stuff too, but definitely check in on that if you fall into that category and see if you can go for free. Um, also, we have a bus though. Um, we're, we're bringing a party bus from the DMVR bar to the game, and then back to the bar afterward. Um, sounds super fun to me. Uh, obviously, like there's a bunch of perks to it. Uh, first of all, you don't have to pay for parking at the game. I think it's $20 to ride the bus. Parking at the game is going to be more than that. Um, on top of that, like Ubering to and from the game, that's going to be more expensive than $20. Um, I think each wave, at least like leaving, is going to be expensive because... Uh, there's a bunch of people looking for Ubers after those games. Um, on top of that, you get to hang out at the bar. Um, there's, uh, I think there's beer on the bus, like free beer on the bus. So that's worth like, 
I don't know what. It's like a 15 minute drive maybe. So you could probably you could probably get two three down. I I could probably get three down if if they're free. Um, three bucks each, we'll call it. Basically, you're paying eleven bucks for transportation. It's a good deal. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm not going to ride the bus just because I have to stick around after the game and I need my car to be there. Um, so. I won't be on the bus, but I will be at the bar beforehand. Um, Oregon plays Ohio State at 10, which is when the bar opens, so I'm going to be there for that, uh, hang out until it's time to go to the stadium. Uh, so it's going to be a good day. I'll be at the bar after the game. I think a bunch of the squads like riding the bus and going to be there after the game and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, good time. Definitely get on that. Um, and uh, get a DMVR membership because if you're going to the bar – you get 24-ounce beer for the price of the 16-ounce beer every single time. It's a great deal. And it's just one of the many perks, including being able to read all my stuff and reading all the stuff from the other beats and all that kind of stuff. So uh, get in on that. Also, want to tell you guys about Ball. So Ball is a great company. They do all sorts of different stuff. Like They do like a bunch of like aerospace stuff. But we want to talk about the aluminum production that they do um, and turning aluminum into aluminum cans. Um, they made over a hundred billion cans last year, which is just an absurd number. There's like 8 billion people on the planet. So that's more than 10 cans for every person on the entire planet, which is just crazy. Um, and sustainable too. 75% of all of the world's aluminum that has ever been produced is still in use today. Um, because it is so easy to recycle and it's basically like lossless and, you know, I'm not the guy to tell you all that. Um, but if, if that makes you interested, um, it's a great place to work. They, they have like a 400 person plant out in golden and, uh, you know, it's a good company, you know, they're focused on sustainability. They have a hundred percent human equity or 100% 100% corporate equity score from the human rights campaign. Um, and if, if you want more information, just text GOLDEN to 77222 or go to jobs.ball.com and search for GOLDEN. Um, again, great place to work. Human rights campaign says so. So we tr- feels like we should trust them. Again, I don't know a lot about them, but that name makes you think, yeah, they... Uh, they're trustworthy. Um, all right. Also, real quick, autumn is in the air. The pumpkins are in the patch, and our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't go oh, wow. carve your pants, pumpkins, when you're grooming. If you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> make sure you're uh, keeping things fresh this fall with Leaders in Male Grooming and their brand new fourth generation performance package. Boys, get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Ready to take the leap into fall with Manscaped? Join the 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code DMVR. Um, You know, it's time to bundle up with that Manscaped Performance 4.0 package. Um, You'll get a whole bunch of different stuff in there, including the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is like their their marquee item. Um, It's like 7,000 RPM as advanced skin skin safe technology. It's basically the best body hair trimmer out there. And uh, I can speak for it. I can vouch for it. It is incredible. Um, On top of that, you get the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, uh, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, 
a travel bag to hold all that stuff. Um, it's it's just a great option. Um, they, they have some other packages too that you can check out if you go to manscaped.com. And when you go to manscaped.com, make sure that you use the code DNVR because that'll get you 20% off and free shipping. It's a great deal, so don't pass that up. Okay. Let's uh let's talk about this Texas A&M defense now real quick. Um again, so so I just watched that Kent State game. Um what's tough is that like when you look at the Texas A&M offense, it's like, okay, here's what they want to do. Here's what they do. And then when you watch the defense, it's like, here's what they do to stop Kent State, which is probably a little bit different than, you know, what they what they'll look like against Colorado given that Colorado runs a different scheme. So first let's uh, talk about what exactly Kent State tried to do um, because I think that's kind of like an important lens to think about all this through. So with Kent State, they were really just uh, they they were running a bunch of RPOs. Um, they, they were running a lot of spread, everything out of the shotgun. Um, and, and they had some success. You know, they were able to move the ball at points. Uh, you know, for them, it's, it's all about the numbers game. Basically, if there's five guys in the box, you run the ball. And the reason is because you have five offensive linemen, you just need everybody to block somebody, hat on a hat, and then there should be a running lane somewhere. If there's more than that, then obviously the numbers change, but you should have numbers in the passing game. And so they really just run with that concept um, for the basis of their offense. What Texas A&M did was just send some blitzers out of the slot. <laughs> and so it's a five-man box, and then you just have a blitzer, and all of a sudden there's a six defender. And again, it's similar to what Northern Colorado did against Colorado. You know, there were, there were a bunch of five-man boxes there with kind of like an overhang defender um, who's just kind of chilling in that slot. If there's a slant route, he's cutting that off. Um, if if it's a run, he's running inside. But a lot of the time, he was blitzing too. And with Northern Colorado, a lot of the time, they'd send a safety on a blitz on top of that, and all of a sudden, there's a big numbers advantage. Similar to in that game, you know, it means that you're not going to get any big runs, but just because you don't have everybody set, ready to meet at the line of scrimmage, you know, you're sending somebody with a little bit more of a run, there's, there's two to three yard gains out there. On top of that, though, you have the fact that Texas A&M is just so big and strong. Um, they've got a few guys that uh, really stand out up front. Um, first of all, you've got DeMarvin Leal. He's he's a freak. He's really, really good. They uh, they list their defense as a 4-3, which, you know, how, how much do we trust that? Um, and so so here's what's up. They, they had... One defensive lineman, uh, blanking on his name, Brown. Uh, he was a big-time draft prospect. I th- drafted sometime in the first two rounds, and so they lose him. Um, obviously, getting Leal back is, is solid. And then those two other spots, they actually had two defensive linemen get arrested over the summer. Um, and, and I'm not sure what exactly was up with one of them. Uh, the other, though is uh Michael Clemens. So so he is a starter. He you know, I think he had a, a lot of marijuana, had a gun, had no driver's license but was driving. Um a, not a great combination. Um but uh he's going to be back. 
this week. He was suspended for the first game of the season. Um, that will make things better. Also, though, McKinley Jackson, who uh, I guess he's he's listed as a second-team lineman. Uh, he's also suspended for what I think is a separate thing, um, and he is not back yet. So you've got Leal, who's kind of the stud. You've got Clemens, who's experienced. And then you've got Jaden Peavy out there, too. Um, Ty Johnson. It's it's a top-heavy group. I think it's a top-heavy group. You know, we also saw a lot of uh, Shamar Turner in that first game. He's like a five-star, true freshman. Um, made some plays, made some mistakes. He's not listed in the two deep. I think they actually have one, two, three, four, five, six... 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 linemen. He's not listed there. He did make some plays, though, so he might be... This is from August 31st. Um, he might be in there now. It's a name to know for sure. We'll see if, if he gets out there. Um, but Explosive makes some mistakes. Um, honestly, like like it's a good defense. It's a good defense. But you watch the way that at least early on, Kent State was able to run on this defense. And you're like, oh, okay, this is solid. And then there were, there were runs throughout the game, too. I'm pretty sure they gave up, uh, I think it was 226 yards. That's a lot of rushing yards. It was the most of any SEC defense, and so there should be some running lanes out there. And then I, I think the other thing you look at is, you know, uh, especially early in the game, you saw a lot of man coverage, and... I think that this is going to be a good test for for Colorado's receivers and obviously for Brendan Lewis too because these corners are they were able to to cover up everybody that Kent State had. You know, even on like crossing routes, that kind of stuff where you think like against man coverage this shouldn't work. No, they were just all over it. Colorado has a very different caliber of athlete at those positions than Kent State does. And so you got to see if they can get open. And I think that there's a real chance that they can. And that's going to be one of those things that I think you have to test out early. Um, I thought that there were some times where they were blitzing where it was pretty obvious they were blitzing. It's going to be big for Brendan to, to keep picking up on that stuff and making sure that, that he gets him into the right play, makes the right read, sees what's going to be open based on blitz, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when, when uh, Texas A&M went zone, it felt like they were pretty soft. You know, they were really trying to not let anything get behind them. And it opened up quite a bit underneath. Um, I, I think that Colorado should be able to, to at least put a couple points up, especially because the running game is what it is for Colorado. Um, they, they have the most rushing yards in the Pac-12 in week one. I think they had, what, like 283 so now since Carl took over since the start of last season, they've hit 250 in three of seven games. That's solid. They're going up against a Texas A&M team that got ran on by Kent State. Again, they still won, was it 41 to 10, 44 to 10, something like that. Um, but it was it was 10 to 7, 10, no, 10 to 3 at halftime. Um, and there were there were reasons for that. You know, on the first drive, AM goes down the field and scores. The second drive, you know, they were able the, the they got stopped on a run. You know, Kent State was able to set the edge on one of those runs, and so it's like second and eight or something. Um Anaya Smith drops a pass. Uh Haynes King misses one and they have to kick a field goal. Um 
And then I mean, on possession after that, too, Kent State got all the way across midfield, had a third and three, had a little swing pass to a wide-open running back, and the quarterback just missed him. So there's going to be opportunities out there. You know, it, it's not like this is Alabama where you just say, okay, well, buckle up because this is a well-coached team that's incredibly talented. This team is talented. There's a, there's a lot of NFL talent on this team. They are still making some mistakes, though. And there's there's going to be opportunities. And as Mackay said yesterday, it's going to be big for the defense to take advantage of the opportunities. You know, finding ways to get off the field. Um, because if they're able to keep this game to, you know, hold them to 24 points, I, I, I could see Colorado breaking a couple big runs, being able to at least make this competitive and maybe have a chance to win. Um I think that's basically all I have on these guys right now. Um, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow morning, 10.30 with Dre. If you can't watch live, first of all, lame. But second, uh, it'll be in your podcast feed uh, afterward. So you can check that out there. Uh, it's going to be a good time. We've got some fun games to play. And then Saturday, party bus. Spend time at the bar. Uh, big football game, in case you hadn't heard. Um, and then uh, we'll have our post-game show from the bar, me and Dev. Just like last week. I'm excited. Dev is the best. It's going to be a great time. So uh, that's the plan for the week. And then on Monday, we start talking about the Minnesota Gophers. And that's going to be a that's gonna be a nice little change of pace after this one. Uh, that's it for today. I'll see you guys tomorrow.